It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Well, we're enjoying the World War II series. It's been going on actually for quite a few months. We had a little hiatus during the coronavirus quarantine season, which technically I know we're still sort of in, but Nathan and I decided that's enough. We're going to start meeting at the chapel even if no one else can join us. But we've had some people join us, you know, so we have to keep it small and six feet apart, and so there's various limitations. Uh, But uh, we are back on the campus functioning normal, uh, at least with Daily Thunder messages. So uh, this one is called The Sinking of the Prince. And in this, I'm going to hearken back to something. You'd have to really be studying my message as well to be able to know what the prince would be in this. Uh, If I were to say, what do you guys think that could be? Uh, But we're going to hearken back to the message that I gave last Friday, which was called the Fearless Fellowship, where you're going to have Roosevelt and Churchill meeting in secret in Placentia Bay, Newfoundland, for the key meeting that's going to form the Atlantic Charter. And they are going to have this Sunday worship service, which is deeply moving to me. Every time I, I've read it uh, and read, you know, Churchill describe it, it's, it's so uh, inspiring to me. But it was a worship service, uh, and it was on the Prince of Wales, the HMS, or the, His Majesty's ship, the Prince of Wales. And uh, that, that's going to be a character in our story, just like it was in that one. Uh, <clears throat> the Sinking of the Prince. Enter Japan. So December 7th, 1941, is a day that will live in infamy. That was just a quote from uh, Roosevelt. Sorry, I didn't know I was going to go there, but that was very impressive. Uh, that's, that's the day that Pearl Harbor is going to be bombed, and it's going to awaken the sleeping giant uh, of America. It's, it's a great uh, sub-theme in World War II. I covered it actually during the coronavirus season. I have one of my World War II uh, messages that I just could not restrain from giving on Easter Sunday. And so it was called, I think, The Slumbering Giant. A very powerful message. But it goes deeper into the Pearl Harbor, the America uh, side of that. And uh, so enter Japan. The Allies have feared that Japan may enter the war. They are salivating, recognizing that Great Britain is so occupied with Germany, and now Russia is occupied with Germany, that, you know what? Uh, This would be a great time to begin to claim some territory in the Pacific region. And sure enough, uh, they bomb Pearl Harbor. They take out a good portion of the uh, American uh, American naval uh, power in the Pacific, and this is going to start a domino effect uh, in and through uh, the month of December. So I, I, on the screen it says, Enter Japan and the Crisis of the Pacific. Many of us as students of World War II are very low-level students, and so we either we, we typically know the Western Front Theater in Europe, and that's what we tend to focus on. Some of us may enter into the Pacific. Uh, very few of us enter into the Eastern Front, And there's just a lot going on. I mean, we have the Middle East uh, theater as well. And there's just a lot going on uh, in the world. The crisis of the Pacific is a huge deal at this juncture. So we're at the very end of 1941. We're just about to crest into 1942. So December 7th of 1941 is going to begin a crisis. 
it is going to stretch at least for the next 14 days. It is going to get darker and darker and darker with every passing day. So Winston Churchill, there's a quote right around December 21st uh, of 1941. He is basically going to describe it as the long nurtured plans of Japan exploded in a blaze of triumph. It was triumphant, and the Japanese were unstoppable, and basically they mowed down every single thing in their way, which is putting the Allies, particularly Great Britain, uh, because right now you're going to see America is going to declare war against Japan, but they're going to take a long time to get into this, this battle. And so right now it's still just Great Britain. Now Russia is in it as well. And so I should say Great Britain and Russia, but Russia is on its haunches. They can't supply any help. So Great Britain is in a very precarious position. So Winston Churchill said, I convened a meeting, mostly admiralty, those are the ones that are over the naval uh, side of things, the naval part of the military, in the cabinet war room at 10 o'clock on the night of the 9th, so this is in December, to review the naval position. We were about a dozen. We tried to measure the consequences of this fundamental change in our war position against Japan. We had lost the command of every ocean except the Atlantic. Australia and New Zealand and all the vital islands in their sphere were open to attack. We had only one key weapon in our hands. Uh-oh, what's that? The Prince of Wales and the Repulse. Remember those ships? Well, actually, you've never heard about the Repulse, but this is, at least you're familiar with the Prince of Wales. The Prince of Wales and the Repulse had arrived at Singapore. They had been sent to these waters to exercise that kind of vague menace which capital ships of the highest quality, whose whereabouts is unknown, can impose upon all hostile naval calculations. How should we use them now? Obviously, they must go to sea and vanish among the innumerable islands. There was general agreement on that. And so they're trying to strategize how they're going to offset this movement of the Japanese. The Japanese are now in control of all oceans except for the Atlantic, and this is creating great hazards uh, for the Allies. And so the, the Allies have two things. Uh, they, they have one thing left in their pocket, and that is the Prince of Wales and uh, the Repulse, two massive battleships. And so their goal is to hide them and have them just be sort of that vague menace, as uh, Winston Churchill describes it, that concern in the back of all the Japanese minds that dare they go anywhere, lest the Prince of Wales and the Repulse show up. I thought myself they should go across the Pacific to join what was left of the American fleet. It would be a proud gesture at this moment and would knit the English-speaking world together. We had already cordially agreed to the American Navy Department withdrawing their capital ships from the Atlantic. Thus, in a few months, there might be a fleet in being on the west coast of America capable of fighting a decisive sea battle if need be. All right, there's hope here. Have you ever had those moments in life where you have challenges, okay? There's, there's great uh, difficulties maybe that have entered into your life, whether they be physical, whether they be uh, spiritual, whether they be financial. You know, there's just difficulties, and they stand before you. I always think of the Red Sea and the Israelites backed up to it, and you have the mountains on both sides, and you have, of course, a body of water that cannot be crossed, and then you have the most powerful military force in the world at the time, the Egyptians, coming against you, and they're mad. That's a bad situation, and we've all found ourselves in these situations. In fact, I've been in those situations so many times. If you ask my staff, how many times has Eric brought up the Red Sea? Well, you know, it's too many times to count. Because 
as a Christian, we are prepared for Red Sea moments. That's what we're built for. Most of us don't like that, and we sort of bristle against it. But what we see here is the beginnings of a Red Sea moment. It's beginning to get more and more impossible. However, Winston Churchill has one more thing, one more card to play, and that is he has two capital ships. And so he just needs to play this card well. The existence of such a fleet and of such a fact would be the best possible shield to our brothers in Australasia. So if they can just muster their forces, combine them with the American forces in the Pacific, oh, this could work. And he's seen it. He can taste it. We were all much attracted by this line of thought. But as the hour was late, we decided to sleep on it. It's a good idea. You know, it's one of the, the wisdom points in life that I've always found is it's always good to sleep on it, especially big decisions like this. What we should do with the Prince of Wales or the Repulse and settle the next morning what to do with the Prince of Wales and the Repulse. So they're going to sleep on it, guys. Meanwhile, while they're sleeping, uh, if we had the Jeopardy uh, soundtrack, we could be playing it right now. But we have the HMS Prince of Wales. I just put it on the screen. This is just to train all of you that it's always beneficial to either watch the live stream or to come and visit uh, Donna. It's, it's very fun to see this up on the screen, isn't it? And so this huge battleship, the Prince of Wales. This is the, the ship that they had that uh, Sunday service on in Palencia Bay. And so it has, you know, we're even attracted to it now. We have a bond with this ship. And then the HMS Repulse. There's a picture of that. Now, you know, I've never done a great deal of ship study to be able to say, oh, well, you see what they're doing here, and this is the, how many pounds of, and this is the artillery they have. I, I don't know all of those details, but I am impressed just looking at the picture. So on the screen, I have a, a screen that says Soul Shock, December 10th, 1941. Now, remember, they had just come to a conclusion that they were going to sleep on it. They were going to make their decision in the morning on what to do with the Prince of Wales and the Repulse. Now, December 10th, which just happens to be a great day. That's, that's uh, my anniversary with Leslie. Uh, and I think, what is it, like 53-year anniversary uh, is when we got married of this soul shock to Winston Churchill. Uh, but my day was a little more pleasant than this one. This is quite the shock. Now, I'm actually lifting this out, and the reason I'm telling the story this way is to make a point because my point isn't actually just World War II history. It's not just to give you uh, intellectual knowledge of what took place all these years back. It's to teach you something. Remember, this is spiritual lessons that we are gathering in from World War II. Soul shock. I've used this term many times to describe something in my own life where there are times when you will be hit sideways in your spiritual life. You brace yourself for a hit from this side and you get hit a different way. And as a result, it can throw you off. It's like your spiritual equilibrium gets knocked. And it's actually a very vulnerable place. I've been in it many times, and so the guy who's speaking to you right now is familiar with this territory. And one of the things I've learned to do when I get soul-shocked is to exercise my faith vigorously in those moments because that's the very thing that is under siege. So Winston Churchill is going to give us a little background of what happened on the morning of December 10th. I was opening my boxes on the 10th when the telephone at my bedside rang. It was the first Sea Lord. So he's the guy who's over the Admiralty, over all the ships. His voice sounded odd. He gave a sort of cough and gulp, and at first I could not hear quite clearly. 
So his name is Admiral, Admiral Dudley Pound. Isn't that a great name? So Admiral Pound is going to say these words. And by the way, I have a picture of Admiral Pound up on the screen for those of you intrigued. Prime Minister, I have to report to you. Now, you need to put gulps and coughs and, you know, stutters in here. Prime Minister, I have to report to you that the Prince of Wales and the Repulse have both been sunk by the Japanese. We think by aircraft. Tom Phillips is drowned. So it's funny because I've been trying to get you into this story to the point where you would care, and it's hard because most of us have no clue about ships. We have no idea who Tom Phillips is. So it's like, oh, who cares? You need to recognize if I could somehow put weight on this. I wouldn't put a 10-pound weight. I wouldn't put a 1,000-pound weight. It may be in the millions of pounds that I would set on your shoulders and I would say this is suddenly what is going to be on Great Britain's shoulders. This is a blow of blows. Right at a critical juncture where they are feeling vulnerable, they are feeling like the entire Pacific is vulnerable, that Australia, New Zealand, all the islands, uh, the Philippines, I mean, this is just like vulnerable vulnerabilities. And now he gets this news. This is what I'm calling soul shock. Winston Churchill's response to Admiral Pound, are you sure it's true? Admiral Pound's response to Winston Churchill, there is no doubt at all. Winston Churchill's response, so I put the telephone down. I was thankful to be alone. Listen to this statement. This is a guy who has carried immense weights, the weights of carrying his nation through a battle against this behemoth, the Nazi regime, all by his lonesome. In, I mean, some of the greatest trials that we've already walked through, and he's going to make this statement. In all the war, I never received a more direct shock. Isn't that interesting? So I think if we could somehow appropriate proper weight to this, it's not the weight that you and I are norm, normally used to. It's like, oh, wow, I ran out of money. I thought I had $100 still in my bank account. It's gone. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a soul shock. This is... This is a very adult-level soul shock that Winston Churchill is describing. In all of history, this is one of the, uh, a leader's greatest hits that he could have. Now, you may never have this story in your memoirs, where you hear that the Prince of Wales and the Repulse have been sunk by the Japanese, or that you hear that Tom Phillips is dead. However, if you could appropriate that somehow into your life this morning, I think it will help. In other words, for you to recognize that these are the moments that we are built for. Everything that we are taught is not supposed to go out the window when we receive a soul shock. In fact, I'm going to say the opposite. Everything that you've been taught, you grab a hold of and you exercise, you grit your teeth and you utilize in these moments. One of the devil's great techniques is to throw you a curveball in life, to throw, throw a grenade in your life, something goes off, it disorients you, and it turns you away from the truth that you were believing right before the grenade went off. You see, that's a devilish technique, and when we receive a stir, when we receive a punch to the nose, when we receive the news that the Prince of Wales has been sunk, this is the very moment that we grab a hold of God as it's called in history, the dark night of the soul, when Jacob is going to wrestle with God through the night until the breaking of day. There is a breaking of day in every night, and you need to hold on to God until 
the day breaks. Now, if you were to say, so do you let go of God at that point? No, no, you don't. But in that time, you are fiercely grabbing a hold in the darkness because you can't see straight. And so it's critical that you hold on. There are some of you listening to this right now that know exactly what I'm talking about because you have received a soul shock. And it's imperative that you hold on to God now. This is when God saves. This is when God comes through. But you must walk through this dark passage with your grip firmly on your God. Winston Churchill is going to say, the reader of these pages will realize how many efforts, hopes, and plans foundered with these two ships. So much rested upon this. Have you ever had that? Where it's just like, oh God, if you could just do this then... You see, we have a plan. We have our own Prince of Wales and Repulse and Tom Phillips in our life. It's something that we are leaning on. As I turned over and twisted in bed, the full horror of the news sank in upon me. There were no British or American capital ships in the Indian Ocean or the Pacific. Over all this this vast expanse of waters, Japan was supreme, and we everywhere were weak and naked. Oh, boy, this is a moment in history here, guys. So I have a statement on the screen, and I want us to just ponder this. You may have faith, but what is it invested in? One of the things that God has taught me over the years, and I would say I didn't recognize this, this has been a deep working of the spirit of grace in my life, is that I would have faith, but oftentimes I would have faith in a solution. Like, oh, Okay, God, this person is going to call up and donate money. And as a result, and because I just, I sense that that's what's going to happen, and then the person doesn't do it. You see, what I had was, I thought it was faith in God, but what it was was faith in a plan. It was faith in a person. It was faith in an idea. And that idea gave me solace. It gave me peace. And as long as I had that idea out there floating around in the Pacific Ocean, I felt like there was still hope. But once that idea sunk, it proved where my faith really was. Because when that ship sunk, do I really have faith in God? Because if I had faith in God, it wouldn't matter if I had that ship. But, oh, God, how can we win this war without the Prince of Wales and the Repulse and the Pacific? We can't do this. The American naval ships were just destroyed in Pearl Harbor. Now we just lost the Prince of Wales and the Repulse. The Japanese have no resistance. How can we win this? What does God say to you? Because I'm God. I don't need a Prince of Wales or a Repulse to deal with the Japanese. You see, if you know the story, and I don't want to give spoilers away of how the world war ends, but, okay, I'm going to try and restrain myself, but it turns out good. In other words, just like in your life, when you walk by faith and not by sight or not by hope in the Prince of Wales, then you are able to navigate through these soul shocks. You may have faith, but what is it invested in? So C.T. Studd is going to have a quote. I'm going to give it to you in just a second. And he's going to be talking about the fact in the Congo, there was a discovery of gold. And for a white man, from a European white guy, to go to the Congo was almost a signing of a death sentence because the diseases in the Congo were so great that they would oftentimes be overcome even in a week. But there was gold found there. 
And so you know what these men would do? They would give up their lives and go after gold. And so C.T. Stead pointed at that and looked at all the Christians and he said, you see what these people are willing to do for gold? What would you be willing to do for God? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Because I think for each of us, we need to identify where we put our confidence. Many of us have our confidence in gold. And if we just had the gold, we would be fine in this life. And when we lose our gold, if we don't have confidence in God, we fall to pieces. You see, God sometimes needs to touch our gold. He needs to sink our Prince of Wales so that we can build a true, solid faith in him, in his word, in his nature. Who is your God? I have been backed up so many times to a Red Sea. Leading a ministry like we have has led me to some great faith exercises. And there's this one quote that is captured in the works of Josephus when he is actually writing, and he was a Jewish historian, lived in the time of Christ, and he is writing the stories of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. So this isn't out of the Bible. This is just an addendum, if you want to say it. It's not the inspired scriptures, but it's fascinating. And it says of Moses as he stood there at the Red Sea, and the, the Israelite nation was mad at him, and look what they brought him to. Uh, look where they brought him to, them to. And Moses says, it would be no better than madness to despair of the providence of God now. And I have quoted that one line to myself so many times. It would be no better than madness to despair in the providence of God now. Is God not in control? Does God not see these things? Did he not see that the Prince of Wales was going to sink and the repulse was going to sink and Tom Phillips was going to die? Did he not see this before this happened. So he's not caught off guard. And if he's not tossing and turning in his uh, nightgown tonight when he sleeps, well, then why should I? You see, faith needs to be placed in God, not in circumstances, not in people, not in ships, no matter how impressive they are. It needs to be in God. Is your faith in gold or is your faith in God? C.T. Studd are gamblers for gold so many and gamblers for God so few? King David says in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses and some in capital ships. <laughs> That's, by the way, that, that wasn't in the, in the scripture. Uh, but some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The name of of the Lord our God. What's his name? Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh. What does that mean? The one who was, the one who is, and the one who always will be the same. He was your provider, he is your provider, and he always will be your provider. He is the Lord of hosts, he was the Lord of hosts, he is the Lord of hosts, and he always will be the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of battles. So guess what? You need to remember the name of the Lord your God right now. He is the one to put your trust in. Your Prince of Wales may have just sunk, but God has something greater and stronger than the Prince of Wales and the repulse. He has an answer for the Japanese attack. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is to have our plans sink in the Pacific. I know that doesn't seem like the most pleasant thought, 
And some of you have a plan right now in the Pacific, and it's like you've been strategizing it over the last few weeks of how you're going to handle the coronavirus and how you're going to do this for your business and how you're going to do this. And God wants you to just freshly take your hands off of that. Don't put your trust in it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Just don't put your trust in it. The plans of men will ultimately be foiled. The plans of God will ultimately be established. So make sure that you grab a hold of the plans of God. Get a clear grip on that and agree with that. Go where God goes. Go where God leads. That is the surest way to find success. Do you remember this? This is in early August in Placentia Bay. Uh, I took a great liking to our Captain Leach. So this is the guy who was the captain of the Prince of Wales. It's interesting because he's going to refer to them back here when they're having that service. I took a liking to our Captain Leach, a charming and lovable man and all that a British sailor should be. Alas, within four months, he and many of his comrades in his splendid ship were sunk forever beneath the waves. And that's the story you just heard. Many of us have fallen in love with the Captain Leach. We love this ship. This is such a good idea. This will carry me through. We have a fondness. We have an admiration. We have an affection for people for plans, for ideas, for a pile of money, for a medicine in the cabinet, whatever it could be that replaces God subtly in our life. It does not mean that it's bad to have the Prince of Wales in the Pacific. It's just that sometimes that ship needs to sink so that we turn our gaze towards our heavenly commander and recognize that he is able to carry us through. So Jesus Christ is going to finish this up today. I think that's appropriate. Uh, in Luke 6, 47 through 49, whoever comes to me, says Jesus, and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Oh, what's he going to say? What, what is someone who would trust in God and come to him and listen to his word? What would someone like that be like? He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Sand or rock? Choose your foundation. When you put your, uh, your trust and your faith in good things that God could bless. It's different than putting your faith in God. So it's key that you recognize that sand and rock are very similar. Sand is just sort of like beating up rock. And it's something that could look like it's God that you're trusting in. But it's a subtle deception. Don't fall for it. So for every one of us out there that has plans, that has ambitions, that has ideas, that has things that we are staking our future on, and we're even asking God to bless those things, because we're good Christians. I want us all to freshly bring those to Christ. Set them down at the foot of the cross and say, God, I'm going after you with all that I am and all that I have, and I trust that your ways are higher. To the degree that God desires me to move forward with these plans, I will move forward. But if God desires to sink them in the Pacific, my confidence in my God will not shake, will not stumble, will not falter. Because my confidence is in God, whether I live or die. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
said that even if we were to die in the furnace, we will still trust our God. In other words, we're going with God no matter what, even if it leads us into a fiery furnace. And of course, we see that God sustained them in the furnace, which is an incredible picture of what happens when you trust God in the midst of crisis. He will carry you through it. He is good, he is faithful, and he is true. Father, teach us your ways. Deepen us in our understanding of your ways. Lord, we entrust to you our Prince of Wales and our repulse, our capital ships, those things that we have leaned on. Lord, we say they belong to you. And Lord, the next time we face that soul shock, I pray that we would reach out our grip and settle it upon you. And we would hold on with all that we are because you are stable. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In you is no shadow of turning. You are the rock upon which we desire to build. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we declare this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.